Welcome into the action line from WGNS this morning. We're talking lawns and gardens, and that's a good topic to have. We've had a little rain here and there, sort of sprinkled, I guess. Uh, in fact, it's been a pretty decent full year so far. I mean, we've had quite a bit of rain around. Mitchell Moats with us. Hey, Mitchell, good morning to you. Good, good to have you with us today. Thank you, sir. Glad to be here. I'm not here. We'll try it now. How about that? Oh, that's much better. There we go. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, you were commenting on the, uh, the fact that we had had a pretty good year so far. I would agree uh, in terms of growing conditions uh, from a moisture standpoint. We've, you know, had a few short little dry spells, I guess, but mm-hmm. no no major dry periods up to this point. And, boy, I hope bragging about it doesn't, doesn't oh, jinx boy. that for us I hope not for the rest it's of the year. But Nice to see green out it there. It is. It sure is. I mean, here we are approaching, what, well, we're middle of July, I guess. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, you know, the grass is still green uh, most places. Even the cool season grasses, the tall fescues and whatnot, they're, they're still looking pretty good. Um, Bermuda grass are warm season grasses. Uh, they're, they're growing great. Uh, uh, so moisture, you know, water cures a lot of ills when it comes to mm-hmm. to, to plants, and and just having uh, good adequate rainfall is a is a real blessing. Boy, we're fortunate, I think. Now, does this do much as far as planting season? Are we still uh, in line with what we've planted before, uh, and then having it the right time of the year to plant it? Uh, the great rain that we've had. Oh, I, I, I don't know that it's influenced planting season tremendously one way or another i mean from um from a large scale standpoint you know from a from a a field crop agricultural crop standpoint some plantings were delayed earlier uh, because of you know wet weather but uh, things are about where they ought to be about where they typically would be Mm -hmm. as far as averages go now sometimes rain moisture things like that create uh, some issues well so it's a it's a two-edged sword i guess uh (laughs) You know, and I, I've made the comment to to people more than one time when talking about uh, diseases on plants. You know, and, and, and we we live here in the central basin of Tennessee, uh, in, in Middle Tennessee. That's where we are, and uh, we are. Uh, I will facetiously say, you know, we're blessed from the standpoint that our environment will uh, uh, will favor the uh, the growth and development of a number of different. Uh, um, disease pathogens, uh, different uh, fungal pathogens that, that cause the majority of these plant diseases, as well as insect pests. And one of the factors that helps to favor uh, uh, the development of those, just the, the them being here, is is moisture. Uh, you know, those pathogens typically need three things in order to uh, uh, in order to cause a problem. They have to exist in the environment. Well, they do. They're out there in the environment. 
and you've got to have a susceptible host and so there, there's lots of different plant species being grown around here and, and many of those are susceptible to so many uh, uh to various diseases and then you got to have the right conditions uh, uh to, that will favor uh, the disease growth and that includes uh, moisture humidity uh, and, and temperature and so we've had those so yeah um the moisture sure helps the uh, you know the plants need it they've got to have it in order to grow <coughs> but also it can create an environment that does favor some diseases uh of course you don't worry about a dead plant getting sick i guess so it's it's better it's better to have a it's better to have a live one that you may have to doctor every once in a while how are people doing with tomatoes that's still number one as far as uh plants i guess you know it's all over the board i think based on just conversations with folks um a lot a lot of the growers at the farmer's market you know they have an abundance of tomatoes uh individual gardeners i've seen you know examples of folks that are just uh, that if things continue they're going to have a bumper crop uh and others you know are struggling uh personally i i can't keep the squirrels out of the tomatoes they 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 pull the the little green tomatoes and and take them off It's, it's been a real battle there at my house dealing with those and but I mean, conditions are right to, for for having a good tomato crop. Uh, we got heat, we got moisture, um, good growing conditions. So you know, if you can manage the manage the pests on those, uh, it, it has been a a pretty good year. I say a good year. It, it's been a year that has favored uh, you know disease. So uh, managing those diseases on tomatoes has been uh, important. It's, it's been essential uh, to. To, to try to ensure uh, or to at least better your chances of having a decent crop. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, you know, tomatoes don't seem to be in short supply at all. What can you do to get rid of some of these pests? I mean, obviously you're having that problem yourself. <coughs> well, well, squirrels. <laughs> uh, boy, if I knew the answer to that, I'd, I would sure share it with everybody. Uh, I, you know, the, with, with a critter like a squirrel, um, the only sure way is to deny them access to to the plant mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so so you're going to do something to exclude them so that's going to be you know fencing netting of some sort and in the case of a squirrel those things that can climb you know you're talking about 360 degree protection and for a lot you know a lot of things that's not i mean it's certainly possible but it's not always feasible it's not always the most practical thing in the world to do but uh you know from a disease standpoint uh you, you try to manage to help prevent a lot of those diseases uh, through the use of uh, fungicides uh, against fungal diseases, uh, their you know home gardeners have access to um, uh, some fungicide products that that have been around for a long time. They've proven effective, uh, and and they can certainly be a you know an important tool in in helping to uh, keep disease pressure to to minimize disease damage uh, to home vegetable crops. You know, a couple of products that use active ingredients, uh, chlorothalonil and mancozeb, uh, are very common uh, in, in the garden centers, and they are um, they're good tools uh, for home gardeners to use. And from an insect standpoint, you know, uh, use insecticides when, when insect pressure uh, is, is causing enough damage to be noticeable and to affect, uh, you know, affect the crop, its, it's productive potential. You know, we're kind of on the tail end of the Japanese beetle season. Uh, folks have seen lots of examples of plants that have been damaged from Japanese beetle feeding, and they'll feed on the foliage of plants and uh, the flowers of plants, and and uh, you know, in some instances, especially fruit, they'll they'll feed on the fruit itself. Uh, but they have been plentiful, you know, this year. For, fortunately, they they are seasonal. You know, they have a, a fairly well defined period. You know, they come out. <coughs> 
typically in the, the late well sometime in may generally and they'll be around for several weeks and they, as they progress along in their life cycle they'll kind of disappear they don't they don't go away they just go into a different phase those adults that have been out causing the damage doing the feeding they've also been uh, breeding along the way and those females have laid eggs and the eggs hatch and <laughs> the little grubs go down in the ground and that's where they live until um until they emerge next year to keep the cycle going uh, so fortunately we're on the tail end of those june bugs are coming out now now what, what do those do to, I, I know those are the ones that we used to put on string string yeah june yep. bug but I, did they create problems well i mean they feed on plants they, oh, okay. they do feed on you okay. know fruit especially they june bugs love peaches and uh, you know blackberries and things like that they, they are foliage feeders they don't you know for most folks just in in a home lawn setting they, they don't create a, a, a big issue out there other than maybe being a nuisance you know just flying around uh things like that but uh and i don't know why we call them june bugs necessarily green june beetles because it's most july. years we don't really see them out much <laughs> until july is really when they come out in numbers but anyway that, that's what they are now you still have the uh the, the classes a little variation on that over at the farmer's market don't yeah you? not not so much classes as uh, um but what what's the right way to describe it um let's let's just say you know displays exhibits uh there manned exhibits uh on, on a variety of topics uh and and just give folks uh, uh, an opportunity to you know to ask questions to visit to look at things and to, to you know spend that time together as they as they come and go uh through the market for the last <clears throat> what i what i do is uh generally something called you know what's wrong now that's 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 the name of the of the exhibit and i'll have various uh, uh, samples of stuff that's going on in the lawn in the landscape in the garden you mm -hmm. know like tomatoes with early blight you know samples of that uh, bagworms you know weed samples insect samples and so on so that folks can look myself oh you know i've got this this is so this is what this is called that's and, and you know things like that that's 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 what we're doing at the market this year every tuesday and friday tell you what let's do that Let's go to the phones. Good okay. morning. You're on WGNS with Mitchell Moat. How are you today? Well, that was interesting. Pretty quick. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Uh, I, I guess we, we're we not fast as we should uh, be I guess sometimes. Not. Well, we're getting older. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you have a question, be patient. Yeah. Call and, and you know, we'll put you on hold. Uh, we don't want you to wait too long. No, but, don't wait uh, too long. We want you to wait till we finish whatever we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Six, let, let, let's get to you. Yeah, 615-893-1450. And this is one of those times of the year that I always have messed up in the past. Uh, everybody's wanting to make their yards look perfect. And they tried it a little in the spring. They try it in the winter when the snow's out. Uh, but the best time to try it is what about a month or so away from now from from the standpoint of growing or growing, from establishing grass yeah, from establish. planting grass seed yeah cool season grasses uh, and you know the, the predominant one that we're going to use here is is tall fescue uh, the september through the the middle of october is kind of the the window uh, uh, of opportunity to plant those grasses 
that's you know they have an opportunity to uh, to, to get established uh, and start developing a, a root system uh, through through the fall and then they'll continue that on throughout the winter before you go into the more stressful hot weather conditions of uh, uh, late spring and early summer which is a stressor on those grasses now if it's a warm season grass you know Bermuda grass and whatnot <clears throat> I mean you, you boy if you haven't if, if your intention is to plant some uh, and you haven't done it yet you need to hurry uh, we, we want to get that done you know in the month of July because it needs some time to 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 grow to get some maturity some development before it goes dormant uh, at frost and because it grows in hot weather so really for for Bermuda grass uh, zoysia grass those warm season grasses that you can establish from seed the May through, you know, early July is is really the recommended window, and probably the, the May June would be the you know the, the better choice. But you know, depend you you can do it uh, later into the summer in the first part of July. Good. From a sod standpoint, you know, you can certainly sod or sprig the Bermuda grass, the wedge grass, and so on a, a bit later into the year because it's already established to an extent. But uh, from a seed standpoint, you know, you want to get it done that May-June time frame. Now, one thing, too, that if, if you're new to the area and you want to see what this grass looks like, because it may be grass different from wherever you moved from, you yeah. can go over and look at the Lane Agri-Park because you have put out some plots of grass. We've, we've got a demonstration out there that does, uh, uh, I think, a pretty fair job of showing folks what the characteristics of the, the different grasses are. And these are the things that you're going to expect to find, you know, in garden centers uh, here in Middle Tennessee. Okay. Got a lot of tall fescue uh, blends. Uh, and a blend is just, you know, multiple varieties of the same species that are mixed together. Uh, there are a lot of tall fescue blends, seed blends that are sold in the marketplace. A few, you know, just just pure varieties like for example it could be you know falcon five tall fescue and there's nothing in it but that one variety uh, but the majority do have uh, multiple varieties mixed together that create a blend uh, got a little perennial ryegrass and it's a real good if you want to know why we don't plant perennial ryegrass here why we don't recommend that folks plant a lot of perennial ryegrass you know come look at the plot it'll tell you why uh, it looks pretty bad right now it doesn't do well in our heat also have centipede grass, soysia grass, and Bermuda grass. And uh, we have uh, something called blue muda, which is a, a combination. I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it's not a it, it's not a it's not a uh, a thing yet, I guess, and it may never be a thing so much, but uh, it is something that has been looked at uh, as a potential. It, it's probably uh, considered more uh, for uh, uh, maybe some athletic fields, but what blue muda is a combination of Kentucky bluegrass and Bermuda grass. Uh, and so you're maintaining two perennial grasses together in the same spot with the idea being that you know, during hot weather months, the Bermuda grass is going to dominate, provide a, a, a playing surface, if you would, especially for an athletic field. And then in the cool, in the cooler months when the Bermuda grass is not going to be uh, uh, growing so much, then the bluegrass is there to, uh, to provide that surface. And the, the idea is that it would, uh, it would eliminate the need for uh, the, the field managers, the turf managers on athletic fields from having to seed on an annual basis a cool season grass into the uh, uh, the warm season grass uh, to give it green uh, uh, give a green playing surface during during those cold weather months when when the dominant grass you know for the athletic field is Bermuda grass now wasn't there a, a grass at one time that 
was not supposed to grow too tall and stay at a certain height or is that my dream <laughs> no there, you, you've heard of such a thing uh you, you know they, they've looked at some things to um in in breeding that they kind, of, kind of call it the the the, the no mo uh or, or low growing it'll only get to a certain height and won't grow any taller than that um i mean that is not a thing uh out there in, you know in the commercial marketplace today it, it's and I don't know if it ever will be or not, but, but yeah, that has been uh, something that folks have looked at and, and, and have, have tried to develop, but thus far haven't been all that successful. Maybe about three inches and just flatten out. Well, I flatten it, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know it, it would not have on that, that very uniform cut appearance, I don't think, because, you know, you're going to have some irregularities. But, but generally speaking, it would, you know, get probably to an average of three, four inches tall and not grow any taller than that. But so far, that has not been a thing. All right. Gosh, I, I was looking forward to that. Well, a lot of folks that are in the, the lawn care business, uh, you know, they're probably glad right now that that hasn't happened. <laughs> Our phone number is 615-893-1450. We're going to pause for just a moment. We'll be back. And uh, if you have a question or a comment, you can call us or you can text us, whichever you prefer, 615-893-1450. All of that's at that one number, 615-893-1450. We're talking about lawns and gardens. Mitchell Motors with us from the Rutherford County Agricultural Extension Service. Call us now. We'll be right back. sky. There it is. The tallest tower in Murfreesboro. This is WGNS FM, AM, and worldwide at WGNSRadio.com. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the new menu items that we have added is our Salmon Imperial. Our Salmon Imperial is a fresh cut piece of salmon with shrimp and a crab meat blend, and then we've put our Alfredo sauce on top of it. It's great for a low-carb diet that you can get with spinach, but also it just has an amazing flavor with a mixture of all those flavors between the shrimp alfredo and then our salmon. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Hi, this is Dan Mitchell at Music World and Drummer's Den, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We specialize in every instrument that the local musician needs at prices comparable or better than online prices. We do guitar repairs and setups, lessons for every instrument from strings to keyboards to drums. We are your local music store. You need to come see us. Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. Good morning. Still quite a bit of traffic volume here on 24 out through the Hickory Hollow area as you head towards Nashville. It did have some problems up there earlier with that crash on 24 westbound at Haywood Lane. I thought he'd be out there by now. They're just filling out paperwork. Again, as you head towards Nashville, give yourself a little bit of extra time. Ripley's Aquarium PJ Party with the Penguins coming up July 30th, 31st. All the details at Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies.com. I'm Commander Chug. You're on time traffic. We'll see a few spotty showers and thunderstorms possible late this afternoon. A blend of clouds and sunshine develops a high in the mid-90s. Southwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 71. 
Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. Two powerful FM signals, one AM signal, and worldwide on WGNSRadio.com. You can listen to us anywhere. We are WGNS Murfreesboro. On my back, I said, Don't look back, just keep on walking. When the big black car said, Look this way, he said, Hey, that day, will you marry me? But I said, No. Welcome back. We're talking about lawns and gardens this morning. Want to say happy birthday to Jamori Bigsby. Jamori Bigsby is our birthday winner today. Gets that delicious homemade banana pudding from the Slick Pig. Jamori Bigsby, happy birthday to you. Congratulations also to Eddie Mann. Eddie Mann is our good neighbor of the day today and receives flowers from Jenny Harrison and the family over there. At Lion Flowers Coffee and Gifts. Good morning, Jenny. How are you today? Our phone number, by the way, 615-893-1450. Mitchell Motes with us from the Rutherford County Agricultural Extension Service. And we've got a couple of calls lined up here. Let's take our first call. Good morning. You're on WGNS with Mitchell Motes. How are you today? Hi. Pretty good. Good. Thank you all. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I was looking at planting some uh, Bermuda grass in my front yard and a couple of bare spots, and I thought I was wondering if it would be uh, beneficial to me to aerate the front yard before that. It, it's going to be a plus uh, to to do something to open that ground up uh, to give you some you know bare soil that the Bermuda grass seed can come into contact with. Whether you know if it's it's just patches you're doing then. You know, it might not be necessary. To air, I mean, it's it's going to help the whole yard to aerate it. Okay, that's that's a benefit. But in terms of, is it necessary for you to do it in order to see this Bermuda grass? If you're just going to do it in little spots and patches, you know, you might be uh, uh, from a time standpoint, it might be a little more efficient just to go to those places with a you know a stiff tine rake and and scarify that ground pretty good. Uh, broadcast your seed there and kind of press it in and maybe cover it with a you know just a thin layer of uh, some some compost or a little topsoil uh, some of the bag materials that you can purchase at the garden center to help keep it covered and hold moisture around it once it does get wet but but aerating the yard is 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 a good way to to cultivate it and open the ground up and and uh, if you want to do the whole yard it'll certainly be a benefit to it okay uh and question do you think i should add anything in there with the seed when i'm broadcasting it any kind of like uh fertilizer to help it get going or, or that's not needed is is the rest of the yard bermuda grass also uh, uh no it's, it, it didn't have any at this time okay kind of getting getting okay. a little bare okay. uh yeah uh, a, a uh uh what would be termed a starter fertilizer it would be beneficial to broadcast that uh uh, uh, you know, either before you before you uh, uh, do your cultivation, before you do your aeration out there, okay. uh, and yeah, that would be a, that'd be a benefit because those, you know, once you get germination, those young seedlings are going to need uh, need a little nutrition to help get off to the right, uh, get get good growth on them. 
All right. Well, I thank you guys for the information. Have a good day. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Now, when should he do that? Is oh, he needs to hang up and go do it now. Oh, yeah. he needs to do it Because he's talking bermuda grass, you know. Okay. And like we mentioned earlier, in a perfect world, we'd have done that in the May-June time frame. We're, we're, we're getting kind of towards the end of that window uh, to, to sow bermuda grass from seed. All righty. Let's take another call. Good morning. You're on WGNS with Mitchell Moat. Hi. Good morning. Do you have a question? Yes. Okay. Uh, is he answering any questions on uh, fruit trees? He'll be, he'll uh, I'll, be I'll try. To. I'll try to. I have a, a Bartlett pear tree. It's full of blooms. Of course, Frost took care of that. Uh-huh. But it seems like every leaf now has a black spot in the center of it. Uh-huh. I don't know what's causing it. Uh, I know there wasn't enough bees this, around here this year to do anything pollinating but uh, it didn't have any pears on it because of frost frost yeah got got those got those little fruit buds back back early on this year so why does it have black spots on it um a couple of reasons you know and i'm I'm, i would be speculating i guess since i i don't see the tree but uh what i have seen a lot of uh on uh, on pear trees this year is several of them have uh and it they are afflicted with a a bacterial disease uh called fire blight and it's it's a, a bacteria that enters the the plant through through the bloom when those when when the the, the pears bloom and it's not just pears but you know apples and so on too but they'll enter through the bloom and it'll cause uh it'll cause uh, uh, you know ends of branches to die off a little bit uh, well not die off a little bit to die and they'll get uh, you know dark foliage on the ends of them and also get uh when it's when it's a light infestation when it's not a real heavy infection you'll see lots of foliage that has those dark burned uh, uh, spots you know they, they look like they've been burned just a really dark brown color on the leaves uh, that's that's a fairly common thing and I've seen a good number of pear trees that, that have that and they also have something called uh, on pears something called cedar quince rust and that will cause uh, the, the the dark lesions on the foliage as well as uh, uh, you know, if they're especially like on Bradford pears, when you've got those little bitty uh, uh, pear fruits out there, you'll see these orange tendrils that, that grow out of those. Uh, but very likely, you know, that just just based on your description, I'd speculate that maybe it's one of those two things that you might be seeing on the pear tree that are causing the symptoms that you see there. Yes, uh, and also the pear trees it go straight up like a uh, well. <laughs> Like a Christmas tree, I guess. It don't have limbs on it. No, like. it's not side branching. It doesn't. It doesn't have a lot of lateral branching. Yes. Would it be all right if I cut the top out of the thing? Yeah. If you, you know, if you prune the top out of it, uh, and when you say prune the top out, I mean you take some of those taller leaders and, and, and cut them you know drop their height back down uh you might encourage some lateral branching uh and you know now would not be a bad time to do that because it's still got time to to heal uh before uh, that that wound to heal before we get into cold frost conditions and 
Also, if it does encourage any new growth, then uh, uh, it should have a chance to get some maturity to it before it does frost on it. You know, if you don't do it now, then I would suggest that you wait until, you know, late February, early March time frame next year before you do that. Yes, it was a, a nice pear tree there 12 years ago, I guess, and we moved the house, moved a house, uh-huh. and the people that's moving the house sold the pear tree down. Uh-oh. Just that, for no reason, just, well, uh, well, I said, was it in the way or no? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I planted another one, but it's, it don't look nowhere in the air like the, not, the original. Not like the, not like the good one you had. Well, shoot, that's a shame. Okay. Well, I thank you for the information. Well, thank you for calling. I hope, I hope, you, yeah, I hope, have you, a get, good day. I hope you have Bye. some success here in the future with that pear tree. Thank you. Bye. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. You have a nice day. 615-893-1450. We have a text here. Is our area a uh, hard area to grow fruit trees in? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do you have more than that? Then? Well, I mean, it's a, <laughs> yes, that's the answer. It's a tough area to grow fruit in. Uh, <clears throat> be, it, because something we've already alluded to, we, we have a good environment for a lot of diseases. Uh, peaches is really tough to grow peaches here uh, because disease pressure is, is really strong on them. Um, it's, it's tough to grow some apple varieties because of the disease cedar apple rust well the name ought to tell you something cedar apple rust it takes two plants uh, for this for this disease to live it infects both cedar trees and apple trees but it does the damage to the apple trees and it doesn't really harm the cedar trees that much but we have lots of cedar trees around here so there are you know a number of apple varieties that are very popular that are also relatively susceptible to cedar apple rust so you can grow apples uh it, it, but if you do you want to you want to select varieties that do show the greatest uh, resistance to cedar apple rust and they're i don't know off the top of my head i think a couple empires one uh arkansas black is one but there, there are others that do have uh resistance to it so you know that would that would be something to consider growing apples that do have resistance to cedar apple rust and, and also resistance to fire blight that's another common disease and you know, if, if you need information about what some of those varieties are, you can contact us at the Extension Office. We can give you uh, uh, some lists of things, you know, varieties that have shown resistance. Uh, they are more resistant to some of these disease problems than others are. Uh, but peaches, tough to grow. I mean, you're going to have to follow a, a, a pest control program to successfully grow peaches with any, or not just peaches, but any fruit with any regularity, especially the tree fruits. Uh, but peaches especially because brown rot is such a, a it, it's a, a very destructive disease. Uh, it hits peaches, you know, the peaches have grown, they're nice size, and you think, man, next week I'm going to pick peaches and they're going to be so juicy and so flavorful. And you go out there a week later and doggone it, man, they've got big old brown rotten places in them. Mm. I mean, it just really hits them fast. Uh, you've got to protect those with, uh, uh, you know, fungicide uh, program, a fungicide yeah. spray yeah. program to do that. Um, and, and insects, too. There are a number of insects that get on them. Uh, so y- you've got to use that uh, uh, pest control program uh, to to successfully grow fruit with any kind of consistency yeah you may you know you may look at it once in a while and you know get some without doing anything but you're not going to do that on a consistent basis 
you know, cherries, uh, plums, again, they're, they're, they're hard to grow. You've got to follow that pest control program. So, you know, the question was, is it hard to grow fruit around here? Is this a good, is this a bad area for fruit production? Well, yes, it is because of the, the insect and disease pressure. It can be done. Uh, very often folks will realize this is a little more trouble than I want to spend. But for those folks that will put in the time they'll put in the effort and and they'll they'll do the right things you know they're rewarded with some fruit oh, yeah. production but you know tennessee is not a a great uh fruit producing state probably one of the easier ones to grow would be uh maybe blackberries you know if you want to grow some fruit uh, in the backyard blackberries is one to consider uh, a lot of good varieties of blackberries thornless blackberries and, and a big old fruit get as big as the end of your thumb you know just really good juicy fruit uh, blueberries is another good option uh they're not as problematic maybe as some of the tree fruits are especially the peaches are um uh, strawberries you know in in the you can grow strawberries in your home garden in the backyard uh but but those small fruits are generally um easier to grow than the tree fruits are and of course that's why we have the farmer's market yeah because <laughs> you know thank it. goodness in and <laughs> you know thank goodness in other parts of the united states it's maybe a little better environment for some of these fruits because uh, you know they're sure good they're sure, and, and you will find peaches grown in tennessee and you will find apples grown in tennessee but uh you know, it's a job. It's 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 not it's not an easy thing to do. We have a, a peach question that came in on the text okay. here. Uh, the person said that uh, they remember getting uh, peaches in the earlier years that were fuzzy on the outside, and they just tasted so sweet and delicious. Nowadays, the peaches that we seem to have here don't have that fuzzy texture on them. Are they different kinds of peaches? Has the climate changed? What's the difference? The peaches just don't taste like they used to. Oh, it's, it, I don't think the climate change has you know influenced that part so much. It's more of a you know a breeding uh, thing. The, the, they're different. They are, they're just a little different now than they were then. Uh, some folks view them as improvements other folks say well i don't think it's an improvement i like it better the other way but you know to, to, to coin that phrase it is what it is and that's that's what's available out there now but yeah it's it's just been you know changes in the breeding programs uh uh to to develop the 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 type the style of fruit that has the characteristics that uh, the, the the growers have uh, uh, you know opted for Another text question from a listener says, I'm having trouble with something chewing on my elephant ears. Not sure what it is. Uh, any suggestions with getting something to put on them? I very well could be a caterpillar of sorts. Uh, you know, there are a number of those that will feed on the foliage of plants, uh, but it could also be a, a beetle uh, doing the same thing. Um, you know, if it's caterp- and you might need to get in there and just just really examine them closely. Uh, sometimes they're a little hard to spot. You've got to look look fairly close uh, to find some of those things. But for a, a caterpillar, uh, there's there products uh, uh, that contain the active ingredient spinosad, for example, is uh, that's a, a a natural uh, insecticide, if you will. Uh, it's derived from an organism found uh, growing in the soil. Uh, there's uh, you know a number of different brands that use spinosad s-p-i-n-o-s-a-d so that's spelled as the active ingredient very effective against against caterpillars 
We have um, a, a help for you, a text message uh, for Mitchell here. Uh, you were mentioning you had a squirrel problem. Yes. They said that they have a feral cat that chased squirrels away. So I don't know if a feral cat is the answer, but uh, maybe they'd let you borrow yeah, theirs. Yeah, maybe, maybe rent the thing out a little bit. That, <laughs> might, be a, that might be a possibility. And uh, are we having many problems? We haven't had many people say anything about, uh, uh, you know, moles and stuff like that, voles. Uh, is that later in the year, or did we miss them? You just them? haven't been listening, Bart. We just, we've you, missed them. You, you, oh. you haven't been listening. Yeah, boy, the, the mold, it's been a good year for moles. Okay. Um, <laughs> And I'll be honest with you, that I work with a fellow there at the office. He's a farm uh, area farm management specialist, Kevin Ferguson. Between the two of us, we, we, we've caught nine in traps uh, this, this year. This now, that's spring. a record number, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, that's the most I ever caught. You know, I, I've caught three. He's caught six. Do they taste uh, like chicken? I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But, no, moles, yes. A lot, lot of folks have called uh, with questions about moles and so on. And, you know, the surest control method is is a trap. When you take one out of the trap, it will never bother you or anyone else again. Um, the traps are easy to use, relatively easy to use. The the biggest issue with the mole traps is is figuring out where to put them, and and you you need to put them uh, in areas where the moles are active in places they use on a regular basis, and you can do that with a little observation, spend a little time uh, in observing. Um, you know, if you'd like to, you know, give a call up to the extension office one day, we can talk about it in a little more depth and detail. But uh, you just identify the, the mole runs those raised areas on the surface of the ground that they tend to, to use on a fairly frequent basis and that's where you would have put those traps and they will work uh, we have a question what about uh, making a test of your soil is should we do that before we try to plant anything it's not a bad idea to do that because then you'll know especially what your pH level is and that can influence uh, the availability of nutrients uh, that are in the soil already and also the availability of any nutrients you add to the soil through the, the through fertilizers and if if the soil ph is not where it needs to be then even though you've added nutrients just because of the way soil chemistry works those nutrients are not available for plant use so yes it's a good idea to do that that's not a hard thing to do you know you, you to 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 collect a soil sample, you know, you and you sample by management areas. For example, if, if you've got a lawn, a front lawn, a back lawn, et cetera, as long as you're going to manage those the same way, unless there's some big difference uh, between the front yard and the backyard, then then you collect a sample, okay, from th that represents both. And you do that by going to multiple locations in the management area, and you you take multiple subsamples six inch deep samples from lots of spots mix all that together to create a composite sample of the area you're going to manage and, and that's your soil sample if it's a you know a vegetable garden you want to go to to multiple places in the vegetable garden uh, and, and and collect those six inch deep samples mix those together to create a composite of the vegetable garden if it's a uh, a planting bed an ornamental plant bed you know do the same thing go to more than one spot and take multiple uh, samples from those beds uh, and, and mix it together to create a composite of the bed but you want to sample by management area the bigger the area Area, the more subsamples you take to make a better representative sample of the area. You know, for a home lawn, you know, 10, 12 is probably enough. For a vegetable garden, 
depending on the size it could be anywhere from four five six might be adequate if you're using raised beds where you uh you know you're building a bed you've built a bed a defined structure and and you're using uh manufactured soil uh bagged soil growing media not so much soil then you don't you you do what's called a growing media test because there's really not if if it's more than if it's at least 50 percent you know manufactured growing media not not native dirt then they need to do what's called a growing media test and that's a little different story it takes about a half gallon of material to do that growing media test but as far as the conventional soil test and the native dirt you know a sample would consist of something in there but two cups of soil you know this you collected those subsamples mixed all those together to create a good composite uh, you can come by the extension office and and get uh, soil test boxes to put the sample in uh, as well as a soil test information sheet that you fill out to submit with it you know you can mail uh, the samples directly to uh, the soil lab there in nashville you can hand deliver it to the soil lab in nashville um, if you leave it with us at the extension office we will get it there but not as we don't make the trip to the lab as frequently as we once did we you know the horse died oh i'm sorry that, well it didn't really die but it's come up lame uh and it's a fur piece to walk so we don't yeah. make that trip yeah. too many times in the course uh, in, in the course of a month uh, it might be two weeks before we, we get those samples up there if you drop them off at the extension service office our phone number is 615-893-1450. Some good advice there. Mitchell Motes, our guest this morning. We're talking about lawns and gardens. We will be right back. It'll be the final segment. So if you have a question for Mitchell, get on the stick. Give us a call. 615-893-1450. 615-893-1450. I like, 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 like a radio that's kind of possessed. It's coast to coast AM overnight every night. You have a possessed radio? Yeah. WGNS, Murfreesboro. You can make a meaningful difference in 2021. KidLink Community Services is currently seeking foster parents in your area. KidLink provides free training and certification. Contact KidLink today at 877-714-1313 or KidLinkServices.com. Hummingbird Hill is an equal opportunity provider. Hummingbird Hill, Smyrna's newest apartment home community for people 62 and up. Furnished with all electric appliances, including a washer and dryer. Income restrictions apply. Background and credit check required. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system, reducing microorganisms including bacteria, viruses, and allergens. Call Precision Air, 615-930-0088. That's 615-930-0088. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One MiddleTennessee.com. Locally and veteran owned. Good morning. Still quite a bit of traffic volume here on 24 out through the Hickory Hollow area as you head towards Nashville. Did have some problems up there earlier with that crash on 24 westbound at Haywood Lane. I thought he'd be out there by now. They're just filling out paperwork. Again, as you head towards Nashville, give yourself a little bit of extra time. Ripley's Aquarium. PJ Party with the Penguins coming up July 30th, 31st. All the details at Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time traffic. 
We'll see a few spotty showers and thunderstorms possible late this afternoon. A blend of clouds and sunshine develops a high in the mid-90s. Southwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 71. This is Kim Dunaway from Sunshine Nutrition Center. You hear me on Monday mornings at 720 talking about how to lead a healthier lifestyle. We carry supplements, personal care, and grocery items at both our Murfreesboro and Smyrna locations, family owned and operated since 1989. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Please come visit us for all your garden, home, and farm needs. We have a great selection of gift items in our gift department, and always our farm inn has everything the farmer will need. Please come visit us. Also, we have a great selection of clothing. We have one of the best lines of Carhartt, so please come see us. The Rutherford Farmers Co-op is located at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. This is Tina Fox. Come on over and see us. Old friends, new name, better together. As First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. All Sports Talk, weekdays at 5. Rutherford County's place to talk. Welcome back. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. 615-893-1450. And let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're on WGNS with Mitchell Moat. How are you today? Doing very well, thank you. Good. Got a, got a question. Okay. Have hollyhocks that have rust how to eliminate the rust on hollyhock plants. Okay. Um, so it, w- once you have rust there, then, you know, the damage is done for the year. Uh, it's, there, it is, it's caused by fungus. You know, the rust diseases are, and there's a variety of those that are fungal in nature. Uh, they can be prevented uh, by using a fungicide early uh, in the growing season before you start to see the rust to develop. So, you know, in the, in the spring of the year when new growth uh, initiates and you start getting good clean foliage out there, at that point you can start making those fungicide applications to prevent uh, the rust from showing up. Or if it does show up, not in near the, 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 the same degree of severity as you're seeing it on unprotected foliage like you're seeing now so what are some of those fungicides <clears throat> from an active ingredient standpoint you know there, there are a few that work pretty good uh, there's products that contain an ingredient called propiconazole uh, you'll find that in an, a brand uh, for example called infuse i-n-f-u-s-e uh, that's one that can be uh, uh, beneficial uh, also the uh, chlorothalonil you'll find that in brands like funganil or daconil uh, that can be beneficial uh, to help prevent some rust development. Uh, fungicide products uh, using myclobutanil, uh, Immunox is an example of a brand. So that, that's what you're going to need to do is to protect uh, with the, those fungicides uh, on a proactive uh, basis before you see rust to develop. And on that note, we'll say thank you for joining us this morning talking about lawns and gardens. Don't forget the farmer's market in the morning from 7 until noon. That's it, 7 to noon. Yeah. 
They call them over there. Uh, that's at the Lane Agri Park. The corn's in now, plenty of tomatoes, Ooh, lots of good boy. stuff to eat. Sounds like a party over there, too. Mitchell Mote, our guest this morning. Mitchell, have a great day. Thank you, sir, and happy birthday to you again. Thank you. Wow.